listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Good afternoon and welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. Unfiltered is the podcast for leaders who involve others, use their influence to help them rise and inspire them to become better versions of themselves. The Unfiltered Podcast showcases leaders who lead from the heart to make a positive change. And today we have such a leader with us. We have Deb Crow. This is a leader that not only leads from the heart, but she's going to tell you just how imperfect our hearts can be as we are on our journey to find out what life is all about and what perfection or imperfection is all about. Before I, you know, hand it over to Deb and ask Deb to talk to us, I'm just going to give you a bit of background because, you know, Deb is somebody that I truly uh, admire. She's someone that I've been following for the past few years. She's got a lot of charisma. She's authentic. She's down to earth. And she's also very gifted and very educated. So let me tell you a bit about Deb. So Deb's education and career has been in disability case management, where she specialized in neutral trauma from 1990 to 2013. After these 23 years as an entrepreneur in the medical learning sector, Deb transitioned to become a certified executive and business coach. Deb coaches mid to upper management and C-suite executives to disrupt their habits of thinking using a science-based assessment that is based on metacognition. Deb is also the founder of the Women's Self-Care Conference, which is launched in Ontario in 2018 in Toronto. And in 2019, Deb took her conference across Canada to empower women that self-care is not selfish. Today, we're going to speak with Deb. She's going to tell us who she is, what she's done. And she's also going to tell us about her latest venture, the podcast that speaks to you from the heart. It's about the imperfect the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Deb Crow. Thank you so much, my fellow podcaster. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you for the inspiration. It's nice, it's nice being on the other side. I get to relax. It's fun. <laughs> really happy, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being my guest, and I look forward to our conversation today. So that was a formal introduction to who you are, but you know what? Why don't you tell us in your words and from your heart, who is Deb Crow? Deb Crow is a heart-centered leader, and she got there from being uh, a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mom, a volunteer. I think all aspects of our upbringing and our life and educational and work experiences. I think that's who really, who we are. I think we're, we're many things to different people. And I think there's a little bit of, of seasoning, if you will, from all the different elements of our life to, to bring us into who we are. I like to call it living in the now. And Deb, living in the now, you've lived many experiences and you share those with the people you work with, with the people that you coach and with your network. And I think that's why you've 
decided to call your latest venture the imperfect, right? The imperfect heart. And it, it, it's about life is not perfect. And we try so hard and find ourselves going down so many segues to, to make a perfect lifestyle. And we disappoint ourselves all the time. And I think you've come to peace that if we're going to find that inner peace, we're going to have to come to the conclusion that it's okay to say life's not perfect. So tell me a bit about what caused you to come to that inner peace and inner conclusion about the imperfections of life. It really was the onset of COVID and the consistency and repetitiveness of my conversations with the executives and the CEOs that I currently coach and the apprehension and the fear of the unknown. It's not like anyone had a file to go grab to say, okay, what, what do we do now? What did we do in the last pandemic? And the fear of being open and vulnerable to their teams, to their executive leadership team, and them saying, I don't know what to do. And it kept sparking this conversation. And finally I thought, how can I remove this Teflon on their chest, this wall of resistance, so it doesn't, it doesn't take away from any of their leadership qualities or the academic trajectory they took to get there. It allowed them to relate and align their emotions and how they were feeling at the time when all of this started on March 11th. And I got to thinking, being vulnerable and open is so authentic. And if we relay and communicate our imperfections and show how it leads and really lends a hand to our leadership, we all can say that. We're all leaders in our own right. And that's where the idea came for the podcast. And when I coined the phrase that all of our imperfections add to our leadership, it has lent for such rich, intellectual, stimulating conversation. And leaders have, have had this visceral exhale where they've just said, this feels good. Like, it feels good, it's okay, because that Teflon has always been there. And I think if anything, 2020 has shown us it's okay to pause, it's okay to exhale, and it's okay not to know everything. And it's okay to be human. And these are the conversations that you're having with the people you're coaching all the time. I mean, I would be doing you a disservice if I only pointed out that you've been doing this since the start of COVID. You've been doing this for 20 plus years, coaching and reaching into people's hearts and, and, and helping them uncover what, you know, removing this Teflon, right? Because after a while, it's, it turns into something that um, dries on our heart and makes it difficult for us to to truly live and you know when we have something growing on our heart it, it tends to tarnish it and what we need is something to keep it vital and pumping and to keep it raw and, and authentic tell me about some of the conversations that have you know helped you land to where you are today and working with leaders you know who are really running organizations across across the world the day I made the decision to close my case management practice because I, I loved it, but I had too many executives on short-term disability claims who I looked after. 
Some of them were so sick from the stress, from working in their words, a toxic culture, swallowing their pride, not having a presence, not having a voice, and I lost some of them. And I thought, lost as in passed away. And I thought, okay, I need to get out of the generalist space. I'm going to move into the preventionist space. What does that look like? What transferable skills? What am I packing up and moving over? So as executives move and aspire to hit the glass ceiling, I have the ones that have hit the glass ceiling. They are super lonely. They have poor health. They have poor relationships. They have failed marriages. There's a price to pay. So now because of that previous experience of watching so many of them be sick, I'm now in a position where I can coach. We can put in great tools and strategies. You can still climb the proverbial corporate ladder, but hit the glass ceiling with health, vitality, a solid marriage, good relationships, and not think that there's work-life balance because that is, it's, it's a non-reality. There is no work-life balance. We're, we're not a scale. We are human beings, not doings. And that whole stature that I listened to for the last 20 some odd years, being stressed out was, uh, it was a, an element of success. Burnout and stress, work the long hours. Not anymore. The millennials have brought in a whole different shift for that. And they get the work done within the time. And then you add in COVID and the remoteness of working, and we have a whole other dynamic. It's like we have the 1950s you know, generation of dad coming home and having dinner around the kitchen table with the family. We're seeing that now in this work-life balance, but I call it work-life integration. And it's a much nicer place to be. And with the remoteness now, I love it because people are getting stuff done in and around family time. And what I'm hearing from my clients is productivity has gone up. So there's been a lot of wins out of COVID-19. It's really helped us reset. And you've touched on so many points I want to come back to, but I, w I want to start with your experience because I, I think it's important for people to know that not only do you have lived experience from speaking with people who have uh, struggled, and uh, I know you've struggled yourself, and I, I want to ask you about that a little later, but you're also an author. You're uh, someone who understands psychology really well. So th this is not just um, a gig for you. This is really what you've studied to become, um, you know, this is your background, this is your academic experience, this is your work experience. When somebody is talking to Deb or when Deb is listening to somebody, Deb is listening with her heart and she's listening with, with her mind as well. So tell us a bit about your background and maybe about some of the work that you've done to lead you to where you are now. Well, I was a disability case manager for almost 23 years, and I looked after children and adults who had neurotrauma. So that could be a brain injury from a car accident, a workplace accident. I looked after a number of quadriplegics, paraplegics, people that had brain aneurysm, stroke, anything under that neurotrauma umbrella. And then I also did short-term disability claims for a number of insurance companies getting people back to health and then returning them to work. Love the people, 
loved what I did, but I didn't love the systems that I was working within. And the last two years I spent just going to court and testifying and being the voice for those who didn't have a voice with catastrophic impairment. And I thought, I'm done making lawyers rich. I'm done making insurance companies <laughs> rich. I want to take those skills and use them elsewhere. So I did some consulting for a while. I did some traveling for a while. I also volunteer at hospice because I'm a big community builder and I love to give back. I've lost a lot of my family to cancer. And I, that, that was just kind of my Tuesday morning thing that I did for myself. It's part of my self-care routine. And then I transitioned into coaching. Even though coaching was a big element of when I was case managing, I've strictly been coaching now for the last nine years. So it's been a culmination of skill sets, working with different populations, working with many different people at different psychosocial and social economic. And it didn't matter to me. I always led with my heart. It didn't matter if you were the janitor or the CEO. You always got the same version of me and the same level of care. And that's what we're talking about here. You know, at the Unfiltered Podcast, we're talking about, you know, leaders, people, people who believe in leading from the heart and, and leading authentically and not seeing themselves in a position or an authority or a rank, but seeing themselves in, in a position of service to others. And, you know, it becomes a passion. And, you know, this is how I see you've transferred your passion from working and helping others find health to talking to others and listening to discover health. And, you know, when you talk about integration, and I love the way that you approach it, because when I think of, work-life balance and we you know many coaches try to help people to find that balance but like you're saying we're not scales and balance means that we're always foregoing one thing in place of another we're with integration we're trying to find the 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 medium where things exist and co coexist and and they can you know it's, it's, it's that inner peace it's finding that ability to be able to rather than the, the then um, juggle the different things that we have. It's trying to find work and we bring more value. And, you know, and, and I think about, because I've talked to you as well, and you've helped me on certain self-discoveries. It's trying to understand where we bring the most value and the most impact. And I think that's the importance of leadership. And I'd love to know, what is your definition of leadership? Oh, I have lots of definitions. I, I see leadership not, I mean, the given is you're leading as, a, as an action a group or an organization, but I see it as research. I see it as principles. I see it as an opportunity to bring who you are as a person, not just your, your academic value, your, your work and life experience. When I am talking to leaders, I love to talk about what imperfections they've packed into their leadership. So leadership to me is very personal. I think there's good and bad, which I'm sure you've ran across. And it's the number one reason I spent 30 years ago. And there's been a lot of talk on LinkedIn about bad bosses. Bad bosses are just bosses who didn't get fostered or mentored or they got thrown in an accidental leadership right. position because of their technical skills and they don't have the emotional intelligence to lead people because they never learned. So 
I mean, this, this could be a whole podcast on itself, just talking about leadership. But as I meet leaders around the globe, the ones that are heart-centered and listen so deeply and so intently, I had one leader say to me, he listens so well now, he feels the emotion. He doesn't just hear it, he feels it. And when you have that intuition and that physicalness, even on Zoom, we can see each other. It's not as great as sitting across from a table. It's still a personal connection. I can still look you in the eye and, and show you my facial expression and smile and, and have a good conversation. So it's, it's that presentation of deep, attentive listening. But if you always lead with your heart and be a servant leadership and your ego's not involved, that to me is the most authentic way of leading. Well, that, you know, I, I imagine when you're working with CEOs and so many leaders, you're probably needing to break the model quite a bit. You know, I, I've met a few CEOs in my time and um, it, it, it is rank and file. It, it is, and like you said, I don't think a lot of these leaders actually want to see themselves in that position through authority, but they find themselves thrown into it they don't, you know, have, they don't feel they have the choice and therefore they lead like they are at the front of the pack and everyone behind them has to do as they say. And, you know, that's not servant leadership. So you you know, I'm sure you work with leaders and CEOs who embrace a model that is not the one that you're talking to, to them about. How do you help them disrupt their lifestyle and, and this, you know, how do you break that model so that they understand they need to be vulnerable. They need to have the courage to remove that Teflon or, or the armor as, uh, as uh, uh, Brene Brown you know, refers to it. it. It's being able to show up in a way that it's okay to know that you've got these imperfections. How do you help them get there? It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. So when you talk to leaders and you, and you kind of unpack their personality, part of their leadership is their social influence. How do they talk to people? How do they listen to people? How do they, how do they give constructive criticism? How do they be intrinsically validated to that person's world? Because we all have so much going on. So it's the unlearn, relearn model. It's, it's you know, coaching 101. It's listening. It's peeling the layers back and finding the remnants or where this episodic behavior came from that they're dragging around on their shoulders. And it's quite interesting when you hit that moment with your client because people see them at the top. Just because they're at the top and they have CEO after their name, it doesn't mean they didn't pay a price. It doesn't mean that they know everything. And everyone below them is waiting to take over their job. So imagine that pressure. Imagine that you are the visionary for the company. You're the compass. You have to keep everything pointing to the North Star. It's an incredible amount of pressure. And most of them have nanoseconds to make decisions and delegate because they have so much coming at them all day that they forget that they're a person. And the pressure is, it's a lot. Give me one way that in your conversation, you remind them of that humanity that, that, you, know, that you want them to embrace. We talk about things on, in numbers because a lot of CEOs like 
anything around a fiduciary model. And I'll always ask them to rate it. And I'll say, okay, you brought it up. Is it a two out of 10? Is it a nine out of 10? And then when you can kind of switch the habit of thinking, you know, how severe is it? A nine out of 10 is pretty severe. Why is it severe? What's happening? Why are you feeling that way? What were the triggers? What transpired? What led up, you know, what, what led up to the occurrence? There's always an antecedent before they have a behavior or someone on their staff has a behavior. And then the fun part is unpacking what the consequence is. And that's what I've loved the most about COVID is leaders who were sitting in a role that were too relaxed and became complacent are no longer in those roles because companies have had time to pause and audit and look at things and do a little bit of change management or a little bit of organizational design or reorg. So we take the time to think about what the consequent management's gonna be. How can we not have a repetitive situation of this again? And it all comes back to how they're interpreting things. How did they, when they listened, was it interpreted this way? How do we get it from a nine out of 10 to a two out of 10? And we just, we just talk through it. And I often tune in very well to the language and the style of my clients very quickly. So I'm able to propose questions back that allow them to be really expressive verbally and, and share how they feel. And again, when you have that connection with people first, trust and rapport has to be, it has to be there first before you can even get to the level that we're talking about. And Deb, no doubt a lot of this expertise comes from, you know, on the job experience and, and your background and, and what you've done, but how much of it comes from your own personal experience? And I know that you've been broken and uh, oh. I'm, maybe you can share you a know, bit about that. This year on International Women's Day was a huge pivot for me. I was speaking at an event and I decided to attend another event the night before and I learned about tall poppy syndrome and you could have picked me off the floor. And I went up to speak to the woman that I learned this from and I said to her, you just took 30 years of me thinking it was me and just that whole self-sabotage. Out of university, I had five bosses in a row where I experienced tall poppy syndrome. I was told I'm too smiley, I'm too friendly, um, awesome isn't a word, you're too verbose, you laugh too much. It didn't matter how I showed up. I, I would come in early, work through my lunch, stay late, I would get to the three months and I'd hear, it's just not working. And I was thinking, I'm not doing enough, like I've gotta step up my game. And then the last place I was at, one of the senior executives, his name's Steve LeClerc, he was my mentor right up until I lost him last year to cancer. He came to me and he said, I'd like to take you for lunch today. And I was 23 years old. And we went for lunch and he said, I'm gonna say something to you and I just want you to listen. He said, at five o'clock, you're losing your job. He said, but I feel compelled to tell you you're not losing it because of who you are. You're losing it because your boss is intimidated with you. And he said, do yourself a favor 
and go into your own business because this will continue to be until you find a boss that's going to foster and see the leader in you. And he said, I don't know that that's going to happen. But he said, I know if you go out on your own, you'll never look back. And that was 30 years ago. And Deb, can you clarify for us what is tall poppy syndrome? It's where you demonstrate your skills, technical, soft skills, the whole picture. And whoever is supervising you degrades that. Because of their own insecurities because or lack of... Because of their own of... insecurity. They're actually called cutters. And it stems out of Australia. I can Australia. visualize it, right? It stems out of Australia. And um, Dr. Rumit Bilan out of Toronto did her PhD yeah. and has actually uh, published a white paper. And that's who I met. And talk about closing a chapter for me. Because for 30 years, I thought... You know, I wasn't good enough out of school. I wasn't right. working hard enough. Maybe I didn't do this. And all along, when I look back now in my 50s, I was, I was being a heart-centered leader because that's how I was raised. I was raised to be faith-filled and think about people and always put the people first and be that servant. And when I look now at the leaders I'm talking to on the podcast even uh, Susan Steinbrecher, who wrote the book on heart-centered leadership, she published it in 2003. And all the CEOs laughed at her and said, this is ridiculous. She just did a reprint in 2017. So she was the first guest on my podcast. And she said, I am so happy that you're doing this because I was told for so many years and we had a similar conversation to you and I are having. And she said, it's not new. She said, people just didn't want to change and adapt. We just didn't know what to call it. Right? Yeah. But here's where I think, and, and you know, as you talk, you're giving me goosebumps. I just want to clarify something. You had this discussion with Rumi a couple of years recently, right? March. March. This is when you learned about tall poppy syndrome. Deb Crow, celebrated coach, ex executive coach, uh, professional, knew her stuff, educated, um, resume, couple pages like this, right? So we're talking about not yesterday's person. Yet, you still had this tender moment where you felt broken mm -hmm. and vulnerable at 20-something, uh, right? And where I'm going with this is, at any time in our life, as, as accomplished as we may feel, the feeling of not being enough can still weigh heavily on our heart. And that's powerful for me because, you know, here you are helping others and doing a great job at it. I know that. And yet you still had this broken bridge and couldn't reconcile until, you know, Ramit was saying, you know, this is what it is, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's really powerful. And, 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 you know, again, it's giving me goosebumps because this is the power of community. This is the power of uh, opening up and, and sharing and, uh, you know, being vulnerable. And a lot of the people that you're talking to, some of the people that I'm talking to, they have this armor, you know, as you call it, Teflon. They don't want to remove it, right? And it's weighing down on them. Armor doesn't allow us to, to be free and, 
and 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 to experience and right it, it weighs down it pushes us down it's heavy on our hearts it's heavy on our minds and after a while and you've you've seen this before you went into coaching people give up right and it, it leads to unhealthy health and i'm sure a lot of people that you saw a lot of it was probably lifestyle driven right so i just you know that was just kind of an aha moment to think that Nobody should look at anyone and think because they're at a certain time in their life or they've accomplished so much that they're not dealing with something internally, right? Like we all have our inner struggles, right? How were you able to, when you had this awakening, how were you able to deal with your inner struggle? What happened to you? What happened for you? Well, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher. I did my yoga teacher training a couple of years ago and I'm a big proponent of meditation and whenever I need to seek clarity or just kind of sort out the fogginess, I always just get quiet. There's, there's so much power in silence and prayer and solace and all the answers always come. And quite frankly, that's how I decided to come up with imperfect for the name of the podcast. Cause I thought I need to showcase the imperfectness and we all have struggles. I think one of the questions, and I've had other leaders say this, that people find hurtful, and I get this quite a lot. I get, is there anything Deb Crow doesn't do? And that can be a mean-spirited question. It can be interpreted as, what do you mean by that? So lost my dad at 21, and one of the last things my dad said to me, I was a kid. He said, live your life, like do everything. Like don't leave a stone unturned and, and keep going with your love for people. And, and don't ever say you don't know anything. Say you have a working knowledge and figure it out. And I mean, a lot of fatherly advice in the last moments, right? So I think we only have one trip around the sun and yesterday's gone, tomorrow's not promised. And why can't we try everything? So when people say that, it's, it's almost a reflection of how they're feeling. But I still find on the other side of that question, it's hurtful. How do you deal with that? I just don't take it personal. And as a coach, and it's happened to my clients, and I say that has nothing to do with you. Can I, can I push further? Because yeah. you know, I, I, I'm like you. I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I, I extend trust to people. And sometimes, you know, I extend it a little too easily. And I want to lead with love. And, you know, I, I can get hurt. And then when I get hurt, I repel. I, 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 I get angry. I get dismissive, right? And so it, it's that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because once we're hurt, you know, we this is how I deal with it. But I gotten to know you over the few months and you know when you say to me well I don't take it personally it sounds like you do a much better job at dealing with it than I have oh because but you know what you have to work at it it's it's you know what our brain's a muscle and our emotional intelligence you know it, you got to work on it every day you can't keep you can't keep withdrawing and not deposit back to you and you got to have good boundaries you have to have good self-care and they're just words, but they can be hurtful, but it's how you choose to react. And that's where the magic is. And what does Deb tell herself? To help, walk me through what Deb is telling herself. What are the inner words that you're sharing with I, yourself? I, I know who I am. 
I'm heart centered. I lead with love. And the biggest one for me is don't take my kindness for a weakness because it's not. Wow. Kindness is a strength. And you know what? Uh, Like Amy Cuddy says that fake it till you make it, even if we don't believe what we're telling ourselves sometimes, you know, I'm going to tell myself this enough and I will eventually believe it. And it's part of that, the imposter syndrome, right? I think sometimes when we're reacting to you know, the, the lack of um, uh, confidence others may have that they, right, they, they, they throw upon us, then we feel that we're not enough. And, you know, we can be as accomplished, we can have done so much, but we feel we just don't show up in the right places for people. And we take all that upon ourselves. But I'm learning, and I'm sure as you have, to be able to say, you know what? I am enough. I am imperfect. And you know, I I listened to you to your podcast, and and I and I saw how tender and raw it can get, and that's okay. When you're speaking with your clients and you're coaching, and it does get raw and tender, and you know some of the people that you're speaking with, and I know, and a lot of CEOs tend to be tend to be male dominated uh, positions. We're going to change that. We're going to make sure that there's a lot more parity in, in right in, in leadership. Um, but how do you deal with, you know, th- these people that have learned for many years that uh, leadership is strength, leadership is denial, leadership is uh, not admitting that you can be vulnerable? How do you help them find that inner peace? I'm so present when I coach. I listen. I I make sure they're done before I respond. And reiterate back to them what I heard them say. And sometimes they need to hear it back, and I'll add a little bit of a different context to it. And we're all allowed to change. There's no rules, there's no rule book that we have to be stagnant individuals, especially leaders. And when you're at the top and everybody's looking at you, it's it's heavy, like I said. And Kindness, kindness will always prevail. Being heart-centered will always prevail. Even if it's not in somebody's wheelhouse or they weren't trained or a mentor, it doesn't mean that they can't spearhead a new path. And it's hard and it takes some serious grit and some heavy, heavy shoulders. But when I can remove that obligatory sense of motivation and just say, be yourself, just be that guy from college or be that girl from college or, you know, where's the girl that you talked about in university that was this, that, and the other. Why can't that girl come into this leadership? So giving them different perspective and always looking back to their younger selves and what would you say to them? And I think another thing is asking people in executive roles or C-suite roles who they aspire to. Who do they hold in high regard and high esteem? And I always say, why? And then they just spew out all these attributes when they possess some of them themselves, but they don't see that. So sometimes it's just, it's getting them to turn the mirror back on themselves. And they don't see it because of the Teflon, because of the armor, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's hard to, to dig deep. They, they need that person that they've learned to trust to help them uncover it, right? To remove it and to embrace that vulnerability. 
Well, and I, you know what, when you're a coach, it's just, you give them that safe space to take their guard. They don't, they don't gotta be Joe CEO. Like they're just Joe when, when they're with me, like, you know, we don't have to get into all the, the business acumen stuff. And we talk about what's going on with them, what's affecting their leadership, what's affecting their habits of thinking, all that other stuff lands up getting intertwined in the conversation. I always focus on the person. And, you know, Debbie mentioned earlier about COVID and, you know, the, the shift or the pivot or, or just the, I, I call it awakening, right? I hope that this awakening that we're all experiencing, that we probably experienced at, at, at its most poignant, the, you know, it, it was the time that I felt COVID was really impacting us was probably mid-April. We'd all recognized that we had to be home. We had to isolate. We could not go out. And if we did, we didn't know how to behave. It was completely new. The world shut down and we were all vulnerable. We were all equal. We were on parity. And that level of, you know, that sameness that I discovered when I looked around me in the media and in the commercials that I was watching on television and and, in the news releases and, and, you know, the officials from our government, just everyone, everywhere, they were talking about how we are all in this together. And I, you know, it really reduced it that when, when push comes to shove, you recognize that it's not about role. It's not about rank and file. It's not about authority. It's about leadership. It's about recognizing our humanity and the humility in our humanity. And, you know, I, I got excited because in this resetting and the reshifting and, and kind of the, the cleansing, we had more than just our hands to cleanse, right? We had years of colonization and racism and, 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 and uh, misappropriation of, of economic funds. And let's face it, you know, we didn't get into COVID just because we didn't have enough toilet paper or we didn't wash our hands. We got here because we weren't kind to the earth. We weren't kind to each other. And that humility, I think, if, as leaders, and by leaders, you mentioned earlier, everyone can be a leader in, in knowing that we have an active role, not a passive one, to make the world better, to work better with each other. And I hope that in spite of the, what feels like this respite, because the weather is, is you know, more clement now, and the fact that we have, you know, you know flattened the curve in most places, I hope that we can keep that humility and we don't go back to what was this normal or we don't build a facade over a comfortable normal. You know, people talking about the new normal. I don't want the old normal. I don't want the new one. I want a better reality. I want an awareness. I want a recognition of the people that we have pushed down. And, you know, you, you talk to these people and you help extract their humility and humanity and the vulnerability and you tell them that it's okay. How do you think we can continue these conversations so that on the other side of a, of a safer economy and a safer recovery, we don't go back to the arrogance where we found ourselves that kind of led us to how we got here? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that we'll, I don't know that that's, that's a, for, uh, a for sure thing. I, 
like you, I think the earth said enough's enough. I certainly didn't like the pace of my life. It was very, very busy. I think technology has a presence and I've been grateful for it because I haven't been able to see, I didn't see my, we didn't see our daughter for almost eight months. Wow. So FaceTime's a lovely thing, but I think it's going to be individualistic because it's like any new rule, regulation, protocol, not everybody's a rule follower. You're seeing that in the world right now. Yeah. With simple masks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be a very interesting transition. I hope it is a transition, but I look at what's happening around the world and even in Canada and some of the spikes that we've had, I get that everyone want to get, wants to get back to normal. I think that's a non-existent destination. <sighs> and I think if people don't adapt, I mean, I have a brother-in-law with cancer. I have a 94-year-old mother-in-law. I have been approached by people in the grocery store. Why am I wearing a mask? I can choose to be upset and think, why do you even want to know? To me, again, it's how we react to things. I stop and I educate. And I say, my girlfriend's daughter, seven years old, she has leukemia. I have a 94-year-old mother-in-law. Yeah. I have a 60 some odd year old brother-in-law who just survived cancer. I need to protect my health and be healthy. So when I'm around people who are immune compromised, youth to elderly, I don't want to not do my due diligence and have humility and respect and understand. Do I love wearing a mask? I don't. I'm I hate it. My glasses yep. fog up, yep. I, you know, but we got to do things in life that we don't do. And we have to model that behavior with or without the mask. Completely. So it's going to be a very interesting time to see how we go back to the new normal. And I, I'm fearful for the schools. I, I'm not looking forward to the fall. Um, I watch enough news to stay informed, but not enough to take away from a thriving mindset. And not to live in fear. And, you know, you, that recognition or, or uh, affirmation that, you know, you've got that apprehension. I, I've got, you know, my son's going into grade eight and I'm like, do I or don't I send him to school? And, you, you, you know, you hope that there's a higher force that is going to ease what we're moving into in this transition. And uh, hopefully that everybody will recognize that even though you can be like me, hey, wearing a mask, but it's not about you. It's about the other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about leadership, again, it's, it's not about us. It's seldom about us. It's about others and it's about being of service. And, and I think if we can mesh those ideas of being of service to others, whether we're doing it at our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities, and leading by example, role modeling, not role playing. And if, whether you're the CEO, as you said, or whether you're working at the, you know, in, at, at the grocery store, because those people, the, the heroes that risk their lives you know we we really rewrote many definitions of what it means to live in our society and i hope that we continue rewriting what inclusion looks like and what uh you know equity looks like and and what diversity looks like because it can only lead us to a much you know a, a, a more dangerous environment if we're not constantly aware and and 
intentionally trying to build a better community and a better society. So, you know, I, I could talk to you as I always end my, my, my shows and say I could talk to you for many more hours and I could because these, um, this is where my passion comes out. This is what I love to do, connect with people like you, learn from them and help others learn from the discussions we're having. And this is kind of why at this point I say, what would be one thing that you would tell our listeners today? to help them become a better version of themselves or a better leader or somebody more responsible. And I call this the unfiltered thought of the week. So full disclosure, what I'll do is I'll be sharing this uh, with you know, listeners on my social media and I'll take your, uh, your advice that you'll share with us today and it's going to be the unfiltered thought of the week and, and you know, in a couple of weeks. So what would you say to people? How do you become a better leader? What's your unfiltered thought? your unfiltered advice to them. You become a better leader by being a better person. And by being a better person, you control your habits of thinking because your habits of thinking are involved in all that you do, all that you say. doesn't matter if you're working at home, in the grocery store, just step into your greatness and treat people. This, the cliche I learned from my Irish Nana at eight years old, treat people the way you want to be treated and you will live a life as a servant leader, as a heart-centered person, and you won't look back. When you can lay your head down at night and feel good about who you are, that's a good day, and that's being a good person. And that comes back to your kindness. Kindness is queen. It, it's, it's what we need to all aspire to, right? So thank you for being the guest on the Unfiltered Podcast today. Thank you for always allowing me to grow and for sharing your wisdom and your humanity and your humility with the people who will hopefully listen to this and uh, learn how they can become a better version of themselves. So all the best to you. Thank you, Deb. Thank you. Thanks for Take having care. me. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.